Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Today I would like to talk to you guys about a miracle that Jesus did in his ministry here on earth. And it's a miracle that we're all very familiar with. It's the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Right? The story of the five loaves and the two fish. Now, there's one special thing about this miracle is that this is the only miracle, apart from the resurrection of Jesus, that appears to be in all the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the reason I say that is for all four Gospels to include this event, it has to be an important one, right? Now, before I get into the story and see what God has to teach us from it. When I was a kid, I used to play a game called, I don't know if it's called that, but we used to call it the hot and cold game. And what we used to do is there, was, there used to be a kid who used to go out of the room, the other kids used to hide an object in the room, and the kid who comes into the room needs to now find the object. And the other kids used to help him out by saying whether he's hot, if he's away from the object, and if he's warmer, and if he's hot, if he's really close to the object. And does that ring a bell? <clears throat> is, is that what it's called, the hot and cold game? Or do you have a name for it? Okay, I don't know. <laughs> it, is, it is what? Okay. So, so with, that, with that being said, I just want to quickly play that game here with you guys. All right? So just imagine if this is the object, the mic's the object, and I need your help in finding this object, and I'll pretend I'm, I don't know where the mic is. So what am I now? Am I? I'm cold, okay? Warmer, okay? Warmer, okay? Cold, okay? Okay, and? Warmer, warmer, okay. I'm hot, okay. There you go, awesome. So we're both on the same page. We're both talking about the same game. That's great. Now, Jesus was teaching on the mountain, and there were crowds coming to hear what Jesus had to say. And in that crowd, there was a kid. And let's give the kid a name. Let's call him Jimmy. And this kid had five loaves and two fish. Now, Jimmy that day had no idea what he was walking into. He had no idea what was going to happen with what he had in his hand, the five loaves and the two fish. And I think if Jimmy could have heard the audible voice of God, I think God would have said to Jimmy, hey Jimmy, you're hot. You're so close to a miracle that you have no idea about. You think you're taking a meal so that you can have a bite while you're listening to Jesus, but you have no idea of what is going to happen with what you have in your hand. And Jimmy that day had no idea that God is going to use what he had to bless it and multiply it 
to be used for something that he would have never even imagined or saw in his life so far. In fact, God was doing something that day with Jimmy and what he had that people would be talking about this event, not just that day, but for generations and centuries to come. You and I sitting here today in 2023 are still talking about something that Jimmy had that day that Jimmy didn't know about. And at times when, he, and at times when I think about the relationship between us and God, I think sometimes God is saying the same thing to us. If we can really hear the audible voice of God, God at times is saying to us, you're hot. You're hot. You're so close in seeing a miracle in your life that we have no idea about. You know, when I was a kid back in India, this was a time when I was in college, and it was a Sunday morning, and my dad, who was the preacher, who walked up that day, and he was about to preach, and he said something that day that I still remember. Before he started preaching, he talked about a vision that God put on his heart, and that was to plant 100 churches in a specific time frame. Right? I mean, you, if most of you were here and you might have heard my dad preach a few weeks ago, and he said that, you know, now we have around 166 churches planted across India. You know, I rem I, the reason I bring that up is when my dad said that he had a vision to plant 100 churches, it did not make any sense to anybody that day on that Sunday morning. Why would some small church located in some remote part of India would have the vision of planting 100 churches. And we were not even close to that number when my dad came up with that vision. I understand my dad would have slept over that thought for days before he actually could come out and announce it to the church. But I remember looking around when he said that and there was pin drop silence in the church. Nobody was able to understand what he was saying. A hundred churches, us, the small church that we are in, nobody had any clue that day. You know, now I can say that, oh yeah, it was a great vision looking back because now there were so many churches planted, but looking forward, nobody had a clue. And in so many ways, there was a huge mountain that my dad and his team had to climb to achieve that vision that God put on their hearts. It was a huge mountain to climb. And one of the things that we need to understand is when God gives a problem, when we have a problem in our life that we need to find a solution for, it's encouraging to know that if there's a problem, there's a God beyond the problem. Amen? 
You know, when we think about miracles in the Bible, when you look into the New Old Testament and you look into the New Testament, there is one common factor that we see in all of the miracles. It's not faith, because we see miracles that God did where there was no faith involved. When God did a miracle, people were actually surprised. They were not expecting it. There was no faith involved in it, but God still did the miracle. It's not prayer because there were instances where God did miracles and there was no prayer involved. The common factor that we see all across the scriptures in every miracle is every miracle begins with a problem. Every miracle begins with a problem. And it's encouraging to know that if we have a problem, we are a candidate for a miracle. If I have a small problem, I'm a candidate for a small miracle. If I have a medium-sized problem, I have, I'm a candidate for a medium-sized miracle. And if I have a huge problem, I'm a candidate for a huge miracle from God. So let's turn our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, and I'm reading from verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran out on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now by this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in the groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundred and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. You know, I just want you to imagine that scene that day. Jesus was 
teaching a lot of things to the people on the mountain. In fact, the scripture says that when Jesus saw the people, he was filled with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus is in the zone. He's teaching, he's teaching, and he's teaching a lot of things to the people, and he's going on and on and on. And the disciples huddled, and they started talking. You know what? It's getting late. And Jesus is not even close to the benediction, so we got to, we got to do something, right? We got to tell Jesus to send the, send the people away so that they can go and, you know, maybe order a quarter pounder with the cheese and call it a day, right? So while the disciples asked Jesus, or they were telling Jesus that, you know, it's getting late, Jesus, send the people away. They were telling Jesus what Jesus needs to do. Right? How many times have we prayed a prayer where we told God what we needed to do? I prayed that prayer many times. And it's so funny to, when we, when we think about it, that we know that Jesus is an all-knowing God. We know that Jesus is an all-powerful God. He's a sovereign God over our lives. But we do catch ourselves telling Jesus how he can deliver us out of a situation or how he can answer our prayers instead of trusting him to have his way. You know, when we, do, when we tell Jesus what, what he needs to do, what we're asking God is to perform a magic, not a miracle. Because in a miracle, God wants to involve us. Right? What we're asking God is, God, do this and solve this problem for me because I know you're an omniscient God, you're an, you're an all-powerful God, you're an all-knowing God, you're a sovereign God over my life. So I give this problem to your hands. Please solve it for me. Do some magic and let it disappear from me. But what God wants is a partnership. He's not here to just put up a show for us while we kick back and relax. What, it, what God wants is a relationship, a partnership, where he wants us to be part of the miracle. You know, when Jesus fed the 5,000, he did, he did not need the kid. He could have fed the 5,000 without the kid, without the loaves and without the fish. You know, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he did not need you to move the stone away. He could have raised Lazarus from the dead without the people rolling the stone away. When Jesus turned water into wine, he did not need the servants to fill the pots with water. He could have just spoken the word and the wine could have appeared. You know, there was an instance in, 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 in where Jesus heals a blind man. And the way he heals the blind man is a little peculiar. He spits into the ground, makes some mud out of it. He puts the mud on the blind man's eyes and he asks the blind man to go wash it off. When you think about it, Jesus, why do you want to do this to a blind man? He can't see, he can't walk properly. Wouldn't it be just easier if you just did the miracle and just had him see? 
No, but that's not how God works. When God does a miracle, he wants to involve you. He wants you to be part of that miracle. And what's so humbling is God being a sovereign God would want to include me in his work. Even though I have nothing significant to offer, when Jesus had to feed the 5,000, five loaves and two fish is not, is not going to come any close to feeding 5,000 plus people. Right? What the boy had that day was very insignificant, very small. But what God did was turned a lunch of a boy to an outdoor catering for 5,000 plus people. All right? And that only happened because there was a boy who was ready to be part of what God wanted to do on that mountain. If you get into the shoes of little Jimmy, that little boy, he had every reason for not to share his lunch. He had brought lunch for himself and maybe for a buddy that came along with him. And that's about it. You know, when Jesus asked the disciples, you go and feed the crowds here, now the disciples are, just imagine the scene, the disciples are now walking through the crowds trying to find what they had. And they would have come to little Jimmy and Jimmy would have had the five loaves and the two fish. And when the disciples would have told the little boy, you know what, we're going to feed these 5,000 people, can we have your five loaves and two fish? It would have made no sense to Jimmy how would my little lunch of five loaves and two fish feed 5,000 plus people? To, to put it into context, just imagine that if you had the responsibility to feed all of us here after church, and you were told, and you were told that just right now. For Jimmy to share his lunch, it didn't make any sense. And for the little boy to share his lunch, there was no compelling reason. There was no match to what he had to offer versus what the disciples were trying to do. I wonder how many miracles we missed. I wonder how many times I did not give my lunch to Je I did not give my lunch to Jesus just because it did not make sense. I couldn't see it. I couldn't comprehend it. It did not make sense to me on the on the on, on the outside of it. And so we might have said to ourselves, yeah, it's not going to make any difference, so let's just move on. 
Jimmy had every reason to do that that day. Right? When the disciples said, can we have your lunch? He, he could have easily said, um, you know what? I think what you're saying sounds ridiculous. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll cling on to my lunch. Why don't you go past, past me and keep searching for maybe somebody else who has some more to offer? Church, I want to tell you, don't let the evil one cheat you in thinking that what you and I have to offer is insignificant, is small. Because in your hands, it could be a meal that could fill your tummy for a few hours. But when your lunch exchanges hands and goes into the hands of Jesus, he's going to bless it and multiply it to bring a miracle not in your not in you not just in your life but in the lives of many others around you i just want to imagine that day when jesus finished teaching and the people were coming down the mountain the, I, I i just i just imagine the scene where the people would have gone to the little boy and they said Jimmy, thank you so much. Thank you for lunch today. Thank you so much for what you did. Maybe we wouldn't have done what you did today to offer your lunch, even though it didn't make any sense. Thank you for doing something that not just fed you, not just fed your group around, it fed not just 5,000 people, there were 5,000 men is what the Bible says. So there were families, there were kids, there were women. So it fed so many people that day with a little lunch that the boy had to offer. And I imagine that Jimmy never got away from that day. Jimmy would have never got away from that day of what God did with what he had to offer to the disciples. And not too long ago, that in New Hope Chapel, we had that similar experience. If you remember, Dave Hughes was in the hospital and we all came together as a family to pray for him and asking God for a miracle. You know, when we were in the midst of it, all of us were worried about Wendy, about the family and how things are going to turn out. Right? We didn't know what, what, we, what was coming. But thank God we saw Dave back in church. He was chuckling around and he was joking around with all of us. And when I saw Dave, what I thought to myself is, we have a story to tell. Dave has a story to tell. Wendy has a story to tell. The Hughes' family has a story to tell. And every now and then when they gather as a family, they would be talking about this story of how God did a miracle in the life of Dave and in the life of New Hope Chapel. We all witnessed that miracle. We were all part of that miracle. And I think the same thing would have happened to that little boy, Jimmy. He would have grown up to be 
a man, he would have gotten married, he would have had kids, grandkids. And I imagine maybe he's sitting at the dinner table, he's telling bedtime stories. And as he's getting ready to tell the story of how Jesus fed the 5,000 with the two fish and the five loaves he had, the kids would have rolled their eyes saying, oh, here comes the fish and chip story again. <laughs> but he had a story to tell and nothing could take away that story from him. Nothing could take away that miracle from him. You know, we, we so easily talk about that miracle, but if you can imagine being in that scene that day on that mountain and food just magically appearing out of nowhere, it's something that everybody there had a story to tell. And all of that could have happened without the boy, without the fish, without the bread. Jesus did, not have, Jesus did not need the disciples to go and search for food because he knew that he was about to do a miracle there. But God wants to do a miracle involving you and involving me. Because when you are involved in the miracle, it's, it's a different story altogether. It's no longer God putting up a show saying, oh, God is great. He did feed the 5,000. He involved a little kid so that centuries and generations later, you and I are still talking about little Jimmy and what his little lunch did to the entire community of Christ followers. My question to you, church, today, this morning is... What's your lunch? What do you have to offer to God? Even though it doesn't make sense. It, even though it doesn't make sense of how God is going to use it. Even though it doesn't make sense of how it's going to come to fruition of how your gift, your talent, your time, your energy, your gift, your offering to God can make a difference. You know, there was a man of God that said, obedience is never seen on the front end. Obedience is never seen on the front end. It's always seen on the back end. What he meant by that is when you look into all the giants of faith in the Bible, when you look into Moses, when you look into David, when you look into Abraham, when you look into all the lives of people that stand as an example for us, God did not use them because they had something significant to offer. In fact, they had close to nothing to offer. And God wanted to use them. And the, and the miracles that God did through them was larger than life. Imagine leading the people of Israel out of point A to point B. 
these were not 10 people, 20 people, 100 people. These were hundreds and thousands of people. And God chose someone who was not ready for the job. Moses was not ready for the job when God called him. And when you look into many other lives, when you look into Abraham and the miracle that God did through Abraham, Abraham was not ready. It didn't make sense for Abraham to have a promise to have descendants like the stars in the sky. It didn't make any sense. But there's one thing that God, that Abraham did is he obeyed God. One thing that Moses did is in spite of all the odds, Moses obeyed God. Obedience is not seen on the front end. You cannot tell that Abraham obeyed God because he saw what was to come. But Abraham obeyed God because it was God. God is not looking for our significance, church. God is looking for our obedience. It doesn't matter if you, doesn't, if you don't have anything significant to offer. Because what you have might not be significant for you. But when it goes into the hands of God, he's going to bless it and multiply it. And once that happens, God is going to say to you, you're hot. You're close to a miracle. You're hot. When we look into the Old Testament, we see a lot of examples where... God does miracles and it doesn't make sense as to why would God do it that way. Let's turn our Bibles. Let me find the scripture. I think, yeah. Let's, let's turn to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings. Let's turn to the book of 1 Kings. Let's turn, to the, let's turn to chapter 17. And I'm going to read from verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. And verse 12, As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, 
only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. When you look into this passage, we see Elijah being fed by God at a brook. Now God does a miracle and he's feeding Elijah by sending food through ravens. And in verse 7, it says, Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And then God is telling Elijah, You know what? Go to this place and you will see a widow there. Go and talk to the widow and ask her for some food. Now, if you see the position in which the widow was, she didn't have anything in surplus. In fact, she says that she's going to just make a meal that day. They're going to have that meal, and that's about it. And she was prepared to die. She was ready to starve to death. Why would God add burden on that widow by sending Elijah when he was happily feeding Elijah food through the ravens? Why, 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 why would God give the widow more trouble? And when we look into verse 12, and she says that I have no bread, this is what Elijah says in verse 13. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have. And bring it to me. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. And the jug of oil will not run dry. Until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. Just like that little boy. The widow didn't need to feed Elijah that day. Right? If I have $10 and that's all I have, I don't think I'm going to be in a position to help somebody else with a meal because that's all I have for sustaining myself. And that's all the widow had. That's all the little boy had that day. But church, if you, if you look into these incidents, there's one common trait that we find is when the widow made that meal and gave it to Elijah, if you, if you read the rest of the chapter, it says that she and her son ate for as long as there was drought in the land. And that happened only because she was ready to offer from the little that she had to God. 
Elijah says in verse 13, if you want to look back into verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. And he says, but first, that's a very important word, but first make me a small cake. Not after like you made a meal for you and your son and maybe if there's some leftover. That's not what Elijah said. First make me a meal. You know, when we talk about giving what we have to God, many times our mind goes to money, right? Giving, we always equate it to money. But many times money is the very easiest thing that we can give to God. There are more difficult things that we're not so ready every time when it comes to giving to God what we have. Giving our time, uh, think about it. Giving our energy, giving our gifts, being used in God's presence, getting, get pl getting plugged into church, getting plugged into ministries where we can volunteer and be the hands and feet of Jesus to the communities around. The task at hand could be daunting. It could be beyond our imagination to see it through. But that's not our job. I don't have to see the end. I have to just trust God with what I have today. The little boy didn't have to see all the 5,000 people being fed. All he had to do was offer God his lunch. You know, in a few weeks, we are coming to the close of the year and the nominating, the nominating committee here gets busy with nominating people for different positions in the board and, and volunteer roles and whatnot. And I urge you churches, if you're sitting on the sidelines of ministry, if you're still not plugged in into the church, I encourage you to do that. Don't see what you have. None of us have anything significant to offer. But God's not done with you. God's not done with me. When God is asking you to give what you have, he's not going to see, oh, are you going to bring something significant to the table? There was never a time when God rejected someone because they had something insignificant to offer. There was never a time. And he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And so there will never be a time when God is going to say to us, you know what, why don't you work on your stuff and come back to me? And maybe I'll think about it then. Not going to happen. When you come to God and genuinely bring what you have, 
genuinely bring your lunch, genuinely bring your time, genuinely bring your gifts to God, genuinely bring your offering to God, and you say, God, here I am. I don't know how this is going to play out, but here's my five loaves and two fish. Do what you want to do. And in saying that, we are accepting a sense of responsibility to be in partnership with God. I know God is going to do the big heavy lifting. I know God's going to do the work, but I'm going to do my piece. I'm going to do my part. You know, we're all one body in Christ, and each of us are different parts of the body. Right? Imagine if my little finger thinks that it's so little that it has nothing significant to offer, and it stops working. Not only is it not good for this finger, that it's going to stop functioning, but it's also not good for the rest of the body. Right? Because now my hand is no longer a fully functional hand because my little finger is no longer in duty. The same thing happens to the body of Christ. When one or more of us think that we don't have significant, anything significant to offer, it's not only unhealthy for us in our spiritual lives, but it's also not healthy for the corporate body, for the church. And when you have given what you have to God and you're trusting him and you're waiting on him to do what only he can do, God is going to say, you're hot. You're, you're coming close to a miracle. And church, I cannot tell you, I cannot stress enough the stories that are, that are going to come out when God does something in your life and in the lives of the people in the corporate body, you're going to have a story to tell. Not just so that you can pat yourself on the back to say, oh, see how, what a good job I did. No, because we did not give anything significant to offer to begin with. But because of what God could use something so small and take it to something larger than life. Are you with me? So I encourage you today, church, let's give our lunch to God. Let's give our talents, our gifts, our time, whatever it is that you have to offer. And maybe you're sitting there and thinking, I don't know what I have to offer. You do. The Bible says that we all are ought to give up ourselves as living sacrifices to God. And you know what that means? A sacrifice has no say on its own. Right? In the Old Testament, when people sacrificed animals, the animal had no say 
as to what's going to happen to it when it was being sacrificed. The animal couldn't say, oh no, not me, take the other sheep today. <laughs> no, it didn't have a choice. And when God says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, we don't have a say in that. All we have is to show obedience to what God, asking, God is asking us to do. God is not looking for our significance. He's looking for our obedience. The only question is, are we willing to obey God and trust him with our lunch and trust him with what we have to offer? Let's give our lunch to God. Let's give our gifts to God. Let's give ourselves to God. And let's have a blast as we're going to get hot and see God's miracle in our lives. Amen. Shall we bow down our heads in prayer? God, thank you for this time you've given us. And thank you for talking to us through this miracle that you did on the mountain. Lord, sure enough, the little boy had... Nothing significant to offer, but that didn't change the course of the events that took place. The little boy was willing to trust you with his lunch, and you gave him a story to tell. You made him part of a miracle God, and we want that same experience in our lives. We want to experience that every day in our lives, to be able to be part of the work that you do here on earth. <clears throat> the work that you do in our lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters. So Lord, help us to see what we have to offer if we haven't done that yet. Open our eyes to see you and your majesty. And give us the obedience to trust you. Give, the, give us the obedience to trust you to use whatever insignificant thing we have to offer. It might not make sense to us, God, but that's not our job. Our job is to obey you and help us to give that. Help us to show that obedience in our lives to you. Lord, I thank you for this people here and whoever's watching online. I pray that you would fulfill our heart's desires according to your will. And you would make us part of your work so that we can have stories to tell. Not just to puff ourselves, but to declare your glory. To declare how you used us in ways that we did not even imagine and brought blessing into our lives and the lives of people around us. Thank you, God, for this time. And I thank you for this people here. Bless us, lead us, and guide us. And help us to be faithful followers of you as a body until you return. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.